And welcome back to the Conservative Atheist Podcast. I'm your host, the Conservative Atheist, and I'm joined today by my producer and co-host. Writer leader. Hey, guys. And today we're talking about reparations. We're making the case against reparations because I didn't do anything to anybody, and I don't owe anybody anything, and I don't think anybody that hasn't had anything done to them specifically, directly, uh, is owed anything. Yeah, and I obviously concur with that. And I would like to give a quote from... uh... Uh, Tanahishi Coates, who I'm sure many of you know is a writer for The Atlantic and seen by many as kind of a black radical. He said, Yesterday, when asked about reparations, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell offered a familiar reply America should not be held. It happened 150 years ago, since none of us currently a- alive are responsible. This rebuttal uh, uh, professes a strange theory of governments that American, that American accounts are somehow bound by the lifetime of a generation. So, I think this, in a weird way, he thinks this is a kind of an ironclad argument uh, uh, for reparations. And I actually think it's ultimately just straw manning it, which the undercurrent of this seems to be that uh, uh, black people are owed reparations because they ultimately built the country and that uh, thus America's duty to give them what they owe. And in a way, almost like uh, Indians uh, ultimately being abused, Americans gave them something like that. Which the problem with this argument is I don't actually think a black people actually built America and was and were actually integral for the success of this country. And so in the claims that he makes, which it seems to be that uh, as slaves, their their work seemed to drum up such a uh, such an industry that it, it ultimately kind of uh, uh, led America from being a fledgling country to being a, a world power, which the problem with that on some level, on a bunch of levels is one, the industrial north was always richer or at least uh, or at least the industrial north was richer when it came off. And the South, well, it definitely had money. It tended not to trickle down. And it tended to be the case that uh, the people who owned the plantations were the ones who actually made the money and not as much the other people. So that's, I think, kind of the convolute. That's where I think this argument kind of falls flat. What about you, CA? Yeah, the, the average poor person, I think it was only 7% of the, of the people in the South owned slaves. Uh, it might have even, even been smaller than that. But the point is, is that the average person in the South did not own slaves. They, they, they were just as poor as the as the slaves were, if not poorer. Uh, they had to, they had to feed themselves. They they weren't fed by anybody. They weren't clothed by anybody. They weren't housed by anybody. Uh, they uh, a lot of them starved to death, and and they lived in in object poverty. It's just the way it was back then. It, you know, they had the super rich, and then they had, you know, there were, a, a, you know, there was some semblance of a middle class, but they, usually it was the super rich and the and the super poor, especially in the South. And uh, the idea that everybody owes for slavery. First of all, I don't know anybody for slavery, even if even if I had slave owning uh, ancestors, but I don't. But even if I did, I, I wouldn't own slavery if my grandfather, even my father, if my father was a slave owner. I wouldn't owe anybody anything. Just like if my brother or my cousin or my uncle or anybody in my family was a rapist, I'm not. I shouldn't have to go to prison because somebody else committed a crime. Yeah, and I, I think I should also just add that uh, in his last line, in the last part of this, he says the rebuttal professes a strange theory of government that America accounts are that American accounts are somehow are somehow bound by the lifetime of its generations. So it's he's trying to make the in his mind this seems like a rational argument, but if you actually parse it out all the way into its rational conclusion. It's in effect saying that anyone who's ever been, uh, I guess, had some abuse or 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 uh, succumbed to abuse by some particular power, and they feel like they're owed something or that they should, their family can in effect inherit it. Which I mean, how else can you how else can you parse that out? I mean, he's saying that because America is still around, and I guess it had slavery that we owe money. 
I mean, if America, let's say we went in some sort of insolvency or some sort of debt crisis and we rewrote our constitution, would they then say that, oh, no, this is a different country that wasn't built up, so that wasn't built by slaves in his mind, so, oh, you don't, you have, uh, uh, it's, you have carte blanche not to pay them? No. And if, if the problem with this kind of rationale is that you'd also have to say that, uh, uh, is, obviously, it's the case that every, every rate group of people has abused another group of people. Well, yeah, it's, like, it's 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 like my ancestors in in Europe. Do my ancestors do, do the do the uh, Italian does the Italian go uh, government own own my ancestors and other people's ancestors uh, money because they they conquered they colonized uh, Western Europe? Uh, no, of course not. Of course not. Yeah, and the other thing that's kind of shady about this reasoning is that uh, it seems to be saying that oh, just because it's a government, there's some sort of cohesive unit here that you can pull from. Which I guess it's in effect conceding that the idea that uh, that what, what, what you're kind of talking about, which is that, uh, oh, well, your family member did something bad to my family member, therefore you owe me money, which I think that's ultimately what a lot of this boils down to, but they don't want to say it. So they try to make it more plausible by saying that, uh, oh, well, no, this is a government. So it's a different entity and some sort of more uh, uh, cohesive entity is unlike a family, which uh, unlike a family and that uh, supposedly you can say that any everyone benefits from this and it's ultimately a part of people's like white privilege or something and that that ultimately usurps the uh, stuff from black people. Which, in my mind, it's them being very nebulous. And I think, as I've said, I think this ultimately leads to, I think this is ultimately leads to the rationale that uh, you have to think that anyone who's ever been wronged for something, or any group of people that's ever been wronged, for, uh, wronged over something uh, by another, they ultimately have to receive some sort of reparations by that said group. Which I, I, I don't have a problem with people receiving reparations if it's done to them. Right. Or if it's done to their parents. Or even maybe, maybe somebody's grandparents, but specifically when it's done to them, when it's done to them, that's when they owe. Uh, you know, the 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 people that the Japanese that were put in internment camps, and it wasn't just Japanese; it was also Italians and Germans. But I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. But people that were in per, put in internment camps uh, and they lost their property, they lost their businesses. I could see you, you know, you giving them something to to uh, make them whole. Uh, of course, the, the the Jews in World War II. They lost everything when they were kicked out of Europe, when they were kicked out of Germany and Poland and, and the rest of Europe, uh, when they were put in death camps and had to flee the country and flee the, the continent. You know, obviously, uh, they lost everything, but they had tattoos on their forearms. You, you could point to these, and it, it wasn't given to the individual Jewish families. It was given to Israel, and then Israel uh, decided to how, how the money would be spent to help the Jewish community in general. So it, it wasn't exactly just hand over money, hand over checks. To individual people that's not how it worked yeah and obviously i mean obviously the case of the japanese they only got something like uh per living which i think at the time was like eight thousand, which i think the first check came in like the 60s or early 60s right and uh i think it was a little over a hundred thousand and this amounted like eighty thousand people it was only like today I, if you just for inflation it was something like forty four thousand dollars which if you look right. at with the uh, uh, most what they want for reparations it's it's in the hundreds of thousands of dollars Oh, it's worse than that. I, I heard uh, I heard a guy say today that he thought that that America owed him at least a million dollars, and maybe two million dollars. Now, let's say there's let's say black people are roughly like thirty seven million people in the, in the United States. So multiply thirty seven million by a million. Yeah. Now, now if you want to make it two million, double that. So so thirty seven million times two million. Yeah, yeah we, we wouldn't. How how long would it take us to pay them off? Uh, Ten thousand years? It, it it wouldn't work. It wouldn't right. work. And the other thing is that, uh, 
and part of the reason why I don't mind me giving reparations to uh, uh, the Jews and to the Japanese is that uh, they actually lost their assets and they actually had some assets at the time where, whereas if you look at with uh, African-American blacks or African or African-American slaves, it's that they were actually brought over or uh, a majority of them were actually enslaved by other Africans and they were sold into slavery, which if anything, that should say that they ultimately didn't have much money and it should also that they, they didn't really have any tangible assets. And it should also say that, uh, and it also uh, begs the question uh, uh, as to why they don't uh, ask for reparations from, uh, I guess, Ni- the Nigerian families that uh, you can actually track down that actually uh, enslaved them, you know? Or, or, want- or, the, or, or the Arab slave traders. Why, why aren't they trying to track them down and get yeah. money out of them? Right. Which because I, they, I, know, they, they know that's not going to happen. Yeah, which I found where people, where you bring this point up with blacks that uh, are African-Americans, when you bring up the uh, Japanese reparations or, or reparations from... Uh, to the Japanese and I guess in, or I guess inadvertently to the Jews, it's that they actually had assets at the time that they were stripped of, which there you could argue that they actually lost money and they were ultimately repenting for that. I mean, along for the other terrible things that happened with, whereas with African-Americans, it's not quite clear that they actually uh, lost money in the first place, you know, which I suppose you could argue that they are ultimately owed this, but I think that's ultimately uh, under very, very nebulous grounds. Well, and and how, how do you decide who gets what? Yeah. If if you're if you're half black, do you get half the money? If you're a quarter black, do you get a quarter of the money? If you're an eighth black or a sixteenth black, do you get sixteen sixteen uh, one sixteenth of what everybody else is owed? Yeah. Uh, how, how do you decide who who gets what and and how much they get and when they get it and how it's distributed out? Uh, it, it's it's a it's it's a fantasy that's just never going to happen. It couldn't happen unless it bankrupts the country. Yeah, I mean, David Frum, who's a, obviously a lot of people have some misgivings about, but uh, David Frum wrote a, a retort to a Tanahishi Coates. And the point he made is basically this, that, uh, you know, if you look at Japanese internment camps, okay, you're literally just giving money to everyone that was in those camps. You're not giving money to the ancestors, which, I mean, it seems easy that, uh, it seems easy as to how you'd actually divvy out and kind of al- allocate whatever the kind of reparations you're giving. And with the, and with, in Germany in regards to the Jews, they didn't give any money to one particular Jew. They just gave it to the Israeli government, which actually was not that bad because most of the, most of the original uh, Israeli citizens were actually Holocaust survivors. But in the case of America, you would just, you'd get all of these kind of uh, uh, convoluted, or it would ultimately just become this kind of convoluted mess because you'd have, okay, well, you're half black. Okay, how much money do you get? Or you, you're come from black or you're like Obama where you don't actually have any African-American roots. How much money do you get? And you just see these kind of weird convoluted questions kind of hammered out. And uh, I've heard some people argue that uh, this would ultimately have to lead to kind of a uh, a kind of South African system where we ultimately label people as, or we denote people by the race, which, I mean, actually does have some pretty pernicious effects. And a lot of people do think that that ultimately just kind of drummed up the racial division. And of a course. lot of people, which they, they, a lot of the retorts, and uh, I'll read off another quote from, uh, this is from uh, Coleman Hughes, who I'm sure a lot of you know. Uh and uh, this was when also he also gave this in the uh, uh, the reparations hearing. But he said reparations by definition are only given to victims. So the moment you give me reparations, you've made me into a victim without my consent. And obviously the gist of his he's also arguing that uh, he never he was never enslaved and he grew up upper middle class. and He would get the reparations. But I think he makes a much more nuanced point that I feel like is the crux of a lot of this. That if you're if you're giving people reparations, you're ultimately saying that uh, there has to be some justification for it. And it's that you I've been victimized. So that's the way, or I, I've been victimized. So you're giving me this money to, uh, I don't know, readjust my life, or that uh, give it's a handicap for me because I've been held back or steamed or stymied. Which, if you actually, if you parse that out again, this is where it becomes crazy because 
if you're actually a well-doing uh, kind of black where you've never thought, okay, I've never had to deal with racism, I have an okay job, it must be the logical conclusion that, oh, no, my life could have been much better. And that, oh, I, I'm owed this, which, I mean, there's there's always going to be that kind of entitlement factor if you actually feel that victim, but or victimized. But if you actually feel victimized while actually having stuff, that's just a very, very bad precedent to set as far as, a, as, far as people go, or at least in my but mind. If, you, if, if you've ever been in a conversation um, with, with a group of, of, of black people in the United States, if, if, if the few people in the group that disagree with the, the majority of the group, and, and it's say basically what we're saying, you know, the, the, the one guy was that I can think of right offhand was a truck driver. And uh, he said that he, had, you know, he had never really experienced that, you know, racism to any serious degree uh, and in his life and that he was in the military and that he was trying to start his own trucking business. And right. he's been a truck driver for a long time. And, uh, you know, of course, anybody that says these things, him and a few other ones that, that said these things, of course, they were called all sorts of vile, vulgar names. Uh, you know, very racist, disgusting names uh, called, you know, just really, really vile stuff. You know, when you when you have that kind of response, how do you have a serious conversation uh, if that's the type of thing that happens as soon as someone disagrees with you? Even, you know, all of a sudden the racism comes out, not just against another race, but against your own race, just because yeah. they have a different opinion than you do. And that's that's just sad. And it's, it's a nonproductive and it's not going to change anything. Yeah, that's definitely very salient. But if you actually look at it as perversive as it might seem, it actually makes sense because it has to be the case or a lot of it just ultimately boils down to we live in a system in which we have some sort of white privilege or the system uh, naturally favors white people inadvertently. So if you're a black person, you've done well in the system and you can't seem to find any sort of uh, uh, time you've been maligned or somebody's been prejudiced against you then you're ultimately upending this narrative of white, of white privilege that seems to affect them so much. And that's why they have such a, uh, uh, when they, when they see something like that, they always lash out, which one, I think shows how ridiculous I actually, I think is actually a pretty reasonable way. If you actually think that way, it's actually kind of a reasonable response, but it ultimately shows that uh, how pernicious this also, how, how pernicious it will ultimately become or how these, these, these arguments ultimately kind of breed these kind of a uh, uh, very pernicious among people and how you also have to kind of lash out at people that uh, don't benefit in the same way or don't uh, get stymied in the same way by quote unquote white privilege. The only thing that we can do really for everybody is just start from ground zero. And we've been saying this over and over again, that this is what we're going to do, but nobody wants to do it because otherwise, if you keep holding, if you hold one group of people back or any group of people and you, you raise another group up trying to make things equal, all you do is create another set of victims. And yeah. then it's just a it's just a continuous, never-ending cycle of victimhood and, and oppression, and to the point where everybody just hates everybody, and everybody has a, a, a grievance, uh, whether it's imagined or real, and it's just constant, and, and it never stops, and it just keeps circling the bowl, and, and that has to stop. First of all, I don't understand why that Asians, uh, you know, Oriental people, Asians, whatever you prefer. Why they can't? Why they get less points on on entrance exams to colleges and universities, and black people get higher points? I, I'm sorry. What was were Asians part of the Mid Atlantic slave trade? I, I don't recall that part. So yeah. why are they be, why why are they being penalized because they're successful? I, I don't understand. Yeah, this is this also uh, uh, kind of pivots to something that uh, I find a lot reading a lot of these debates and or reading a lot of the literature on the the pro reparations case. 
And it seems to be that you're ultimately kind of straddled by your, I guess, your ancestors and wherever your parents land up, that's where you're going to end up. And obviously there is some statistics saying, or a lot of statistics saying that uh, if you grew up poor, you're likely to be poor. And if you grew up rich, you're likely to be rich and so on. But the thing I always like to throw out that uh, upends this trend, you kind of touched on it a bit, is that if you look at Asians, there's so much, if you look at poor Asians, they're likely to end up in middle class. And they actually do better on the SAT than blacks and whites do on average. Of or they, they actually do better in, on on the SAT than uh, uh, rich blacks do. And if you look in the case with uh, rich blacks, a lot of them, a lot of their offspring is very likely to kind of end up poor, which there you could argue that uh, a lot of people are how uh, uh, perverse the system is and how it ultimately is uh, 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 systematically or systemically or whatever they want to call it against black people. But you'd also have to say it there that if it's the case that black people ultimately uh, are, are much more likely to end up in poverty, even when they have money, doesn't that ultimately show that uh, these programs and kind of, I, I guess, even like they argue that giving black people hundreds of thousands of dollars is ultimately not going to pan out the way you want and not really go to any sort of avail? I mean, I can remember having a conversation with a, uh, with someone about, uh, um, or I guess black schools, and they were arguing that, oh, lower socioeconomic schools get less money, which actually isn't really that true because uh, I'm forgetting, what is it, uh, Title IX? Yeah. Or school funding. But yeah. I made the point, if you look at uh, Washington, D.C. schools, which it's for Washington, D.C., every kid gets about $30,000, and the results are absolutely dismal. And I said, okay, well, what happens in Washington, D.C., one of our major cities, I mean, our literal capital, where it's something like $30,000 per capita per, or per kid, and and the results are and the results are still dismal. And I didn't get an answer. I just got a dumbfounded slack jaw. That's he just became dumbfounded and slack jawed right there. I, I can't th- I can't think of the name of the woman's name, but she there was an, a documentary on her. Um, uh, not waiting for Superman yeah, she or something. A... Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I was and, say and, was and, anyway, she she ran the DC schools, and she wasn't popular amongst the teachers. She wasn't popular amongst the uh, the administrations, but she was able to lower the bill, the cost of of, of students uh, of of schooling, and raise the raise the scores, raise the standards. And uh, the reason why the way she was able to do that is she was she held a teachers teachers accountable for the grades that their students got, and so yeah. she she held these uh, teachers accountable. You you don't. You don't bring results. You don't improve your students' uh, scores. You don't put in the time. You don't put in the effort. You don't show us results. Then you have to go. Right. Plain and simple. Yeah. Which I think this is, that's kind of a good segue because really kind of my main qualm against reparations is that, uh, well, one, you just have to show that they'd work, you know? You'd have to show that they they would ultimately have some sort of substantive results, which I ultimately think that they wouldn't really have substantive results. I think a lot of the black, uh, black people's problems... Uh, I mean, you could look at a lot of metrics. I'd say big, uh, probably violent crimes a big one. I mean, if you look at financial literacy, that's obviously another big one. Pretty much a lot of metrics black people just seem to be very low on or uh, uh, much lower than their, uh, I guess, any other race. And I you, obviously, you, you, you know how but, you know that you know how you know reparations wouldn't work. No, it's very simple. Oh, affirmative action. No. The average person that wins the lottery goes completely bankrupt within f- the first five years right because they get they get a windfall of money they get millions of dollars sometimes tens or even hundreds of millions of dollars and but they don't know how to spend it and so they give money to all their friends they spend lavishly they throw the money away they invest in businesses and in stocks and bonds and they don't know what the hell they're doing they you know they worked as a, a manager or even just a fry cook at mcdonald's and they say, well, you know, I worked at McDonald's. I know how McDonald's runs. It's not that difficult. I'll have somebody else do it for me. 
And so they, you know, they try to open up a business. They don't know. They have absolutely no business sense. And instead of smart investments, instead of long-term, long strategy investments, they, 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 you know, go deep, knee deep and eye, eyeball deep into different businesses. And they have no, they have no business acumen whatsoever. And so they, they destroy themselves and they go completely bankrupt. And that's a good example of what happens when someone who doesn't have any money all of a sudden has all the money in the world and, and they just, they just piss it away because they've never had that money. They don't know how to spend it. They don't know how to save it. They don't know how to make it grow. Um, so they, you know, they don't magically become a financial genius just because they've won 10 million or 20 million or 30 million or a hundred million. Right. Yeah. I mean, so that's first five years they're bankrupt and they end up getting divorced and they, and their family hates them and they hate their family. And, and some of them even get killed or, or uh, end up in prison. It's it's you know it just it destroys them because they're not they're not capable of dealing with this kind of money, just dropping out of the sky on them. And I think that's what would happen with reparations. I really do. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I would also add that uh, if you a lot of people make this point. If you look at the NFL, which has probably there's probably never been another organization that has produced that has produced as many uh, black millionaires as the NFL has, which. Uh, I mean, ironically enough, that's called racist, but it's constantly called racist, but that's an aside. But if you look at the numbers, I think it was something staggering, like 70% of uh, NFL players will eventually go bankrupt. I mean, if you look at it, that's essentially uh, is close to what's happening with reparations and that you're giving these people like hundreds, you'd give it, you'd be giving black people by a lot of these estimates, like hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, what exactly do you expect, which you you have the lottery analogy and you also have uh, uh, what happens in the NFL. Do you actually think that this would actually really pan out and go to much avail which uh i is, is always the question i've asked because it the sad thing is is that it would probably be the case that uh reparations would go to no avail and uh after a while black people would not really uh, uh kind of gain like a higher station in life and they would just immediately pivot to oh well no our system that just showed how system the how how racist our system is it would just be kind of like just more and more just kind of burrowing down and they would just find another excuse which it, it kind of goes back to my point about like dc schools it's that Whatever, it's never enough. That they'll always pivot to something else, which it, it's well, kind of that yeah, angle. It's funny, interesting you, with reparations. You have to help people do better. You have to help help people do better. You teach you teach them. You don't you don't give them fish. You teach them how to fish. So if you want to improve a community, if you know when, when I used to lift weights, um, and I haven't lifted weights in a, in a while now, but when I used to lift weights, uh, when I would bench press, if my left side wasn't keeping up with my right side. I didn't have somebody hold the left side for me to keep it up for me. I didn't lessen the weights on that side. I forced the left side of my body to keep up with my right because right. that's how you build the muscle. You don't build muscle by sitting on the couch. You don't, you don't make somebody become successful. You don't, you don't make somebody become successful in life and in, in, in their family and their business uh, in their job or, or any other way possible by giving it to them. It just doesn't work that way. It, it destroys the family. How many times have we heard people say that the, that the welfare system has destroyed the black family? And it has. It's yeah. absolutely destroyed the black family. It, it's increased all the bad stats and decreased all the good. And uh, it's a sad shame because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's worked to their detriment. It was supposed to be a good thing. And it's, it's completely destroyed their community. And uh, some people see it, some people don't. Uh, right. I, 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 and I, I wish more people saw it because 
we're just digging a deeper and deeper hole. Nobody, I don't want anybody to be, to be unsuccessful. It doesn't help me to, for somebody to be unsuccessful. It doesn't help society for a group of people to be unsuccessful. So the idea that we want to keep people down, it's just not true. It's just not true. I, I don't know where people get that idea from. I really don't. How they think that benefits anybody. Yeah, I, I have two points I want to add, which which one is that uh, that that uh, I would wholeheartedly accept reparations if uh, it if it was the case that, uh, OK, we give every black person forty thousand dollars like we did the Japanese and they ultimately become well functioning citizens. I think that would be a decent argument. The only problem is I don't think that's going to happen. So that's why we don't that's why we wouldn't support it, which obviously I still have some qualms of reparations. And I, even in that case, there would be some problems with it. But uh the other, the other point I would make with kind of uh, reparations is that even if you look at uh, or welfare, like you're adding, if you look at uh, if you look at the welfare reform, if I believe it was 95 or 96 under Clinton, when you, I guess, added work requirements, you immediately saw poverty uh, fall down. And a lot of women who were kind of just welfare queens and not working and just having kids, those women immediately started work and they became much more productive citizens. You of know? course. And that's the case that, uh, I mean, a lot of people also argue that uh, welfare is ultimately a reparation, which... I, I guess it could be argued that uh, black people are are uh, disproportionately much more likely to uh, accept welfare, though obviously it's the case that uh, anyone can get welfare. But uh, I would say it's definitely a program offered by the United States that black people uh, disproportionately uh, will partake in. It, 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 it destroys the black family. It destroys any family, really, not just the black family, but the Hispanic and the white family. Any any family that that, uh, that gets involved in the, in the government welfare system and the welfare state, it destroys the family because you're not earning your money. You have all this free time on your hands uh, and you're not teaching. You're not, you're not, you don't, you know, it, it, there's no way it's going to make you feel good. It's not going to, it's not going to increase your self-esteem. It's not going to increase your self-worth. Uh, and you, it's not going to give you uh, appreciation for what things cost and and, and how much a, a dollar is really worth. Right. It's just not, and it's not going to teach your children to, uh, you know, to have a great worth at work ethic and, and uh, to, to survive and, to thrive it just doesn't it's it's counterproductive to all the goals that are supposedly uh, are in mind it's counterproductive to all those goals yeah it, it's like an anchor around around anybody's neck who involves themselves in that. and i'm not saying that this that there shouldn't be a safety net of course there should but it's not to it's not meant as a way of life it's not meant to protect to uh, support a family from cradle to grave for three and four generations that's ridiculous right that's absolutely I ridiculous I, I think that, uh, that my, my kind of theory on it is that uh, if you look at people kind of this mindset, which black people seem to disproportionately have it. But I think it's ultimately just victim mentality, which you can see every all the psychological literature. It tells people that, no, you're not supposed to feel like victims. That ultimately just correlates with just horrible outcomes, which if you actually believe that uh, and kind of even with welfare, even uh, excluding race, that if you're just on welfare, you probably think that, oh, society, I just can't get up and I, I'm worth more. But uh, I have to be on welfare. And I, I feel like ultimately a lot of these people just get in kind of like this doldrum, just kind of a, a, paradigm, a, a paradigmatic kind of mindset where it ultimately kind of uh, will, I guess they will uh, branch out into kind of their kid's generation. And they ultimately keep feeling this way that, uh, oh, the only reason why I'm poor is because my parents are poor. And obviously they always point at the statistics that, uh, oh, well, poor people are much more likely to be poor if their parents were poor. And uh, I, I, the other thing I was going to uh, say is that this also branches out with another kind of convoluted argument that they'll make, and that's that uh, people ultimately inherit money or, or wealthier people tend to inherit money because their parents tend to be wealthy. And that's the reason why they're wealthier. And because uh, uh, black people were not able to uh, uh, accumulate money throughout their life, that uh, they ultimately can't do that, 
which there's a bunch of problems with that argument. One is that uh, in the 1930s, virtually everyone's uh, savings were just wiped out. So it's not like it's not like uh, these so-called like people that uh, were around for most of Jim Crow and uh, which obviously 30s would have mounted most of Jim Crow because it went on for 30 more years and uh, right. 70s. But uh, their savings were wiped out. And, and secondly, that uh, uh, the people who actually uh, will garner some sort of inheritance in life, it's typically going to be in their 40s and 50s where their parents die. Well, they're already going to be somewhat established in life. It's not like you just get like a couple hundred. Let's say you have an upper middle class parents and I don't know how many kids they had, but uh, let's say you can inherit like five, six hundred thousand thousand dollars, which is obviously going to help a lot of people. It's not like they're getting the money right from the get go. It's they're probably going to get in like their 40s and their 50s when they're probably already established in life. And you can probably already gauge what they've been doing in life, which that's one of the things that I always uh, uh, I always take umbrage with, which uh, I mean, obviously, I've already brought this up. But uh, the one thing that I think undercuts that is the point with Asians where poor Asians are, are exponentially more like are exponentially uh, more likely to get out of poverty than poor than uh, poor blacks. Well, if, if you look at Adam Carolla, Adam Carolla likes to tell the story about his upbringing. And Adam Carolla, very, very famous comedian, does a podcast, uh, The Adam Carolla Show. And he uh, he's a movie star, he's a TV star. Uh, but he was, was talking about how his mother was on welfare. His mother, his, his grandparents let his mother live in a house, him and his mother. And his mother lived on welfare. And that every time he would try to get a job, his mother would get on him and say, hey, every time you work a job, it just simply lowers our welfare, it lowers our public assistance. And so, you're, you're, you know, you're not helping us. And uh, finally, he had to move out on his own and said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm just not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to be a part of this. I'm not going to keep feeding into this. I, I feel worthless. I need a job. I need something to live for. And, uh, you know, he moved out of his parents' house, his mother's house. And, and but his, you know, he, I'm sure he loves his mother. I, I don't even know if she's still alive, but I'm sure he loved his mother or loves his mother. But, you know, he tells the story about how his mother was playing the system and uh, how, how he didn't want to be a part of it. And that uh, all you have to do is work hard and get yourself in gear. And by the time he was 30, he decided, hey, listen, I'm 30 now. or I'm coming up on 30. It's time to get serious. It's time to get serious and be a man. And that's what he did. And now he's, he's very, extremely successful. And uh, even before he became, uh, you know, famous and successful in that, in, that, in his own right in that, that regard, he was successful as a, as a construction worker and owned his own construction company and, and uh, he, did, he did all sorts of things, all sorts of jobs. He taught boxing. He did all sorts of things to, to make ends meet and to, to get to sustain himself. And he was quite successful because he tried. And that, that's what it all boils down to is try. Don't, don't just sit around and, 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 and complain and, and look for somebody else to take care of you. you know, that his, his story is a, is, a, is, the, is a perfect example of what you can do when you try hard enough. Yeah, I also think that uh, a lot of people make the point that uh, on a lot of metrics that uh, blacks kind of pre-civil rights, which obviously we support civil rights, but it, blacks uh, pre-civil rights did better in some metrics, which uh, the poverty rate was still pretty high. But if you look at things like out of wedlock birth rates or the violent crime, it was substantially lower than it is today. But uh, I remember someone who was once making the point that if you look at uh, during kind of the Jim Crow South, that uh, a lot of towns would actually have. Uh, black dis uh, black business uh, districts that would actually be fairly nice places to go and the business would actually be somewhat pristine which today i don't think you can find another if you look at in a lot of major towns and look at a so-called black owned like district which i don't think there's going to be many but the black owned uh, businesses are going to be few and far between you know yeah yeah it, it, yeah well like i said it's 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 the welfare state it's the welfare system 
it, it's destroyed the black family. It's destroyed a lot of families, but it's its hardest impact has been on the black family. And uh, the, the stated goal of lifting them up has actually torn them down. And uh, anytime the government gets involved in something, they always make things worse. They don't make things better. Um, they, they, you know, that's why private industry is always the way to go. The government always, always does a half-assed job at anything they try. Um, and what did Ronald Reagan say? Uh, the worst, worst words you can hear is, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. No, right. no such thing. No such thing. I mean, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here from the government and I'm here to suck the money out of people's pockets. I'm here to set ridiculous rules. I'm here to handicap you so you can't succeed in life and uh, make you more reliant on us so we can take more taxes and control every aspect of, of your life and, and your family and everything else around you. That's, that's what they really should say. But you know, that's, that's a little bit too damn honest. Yeah. Right. I, I, I was going to say that to, I brought this up at the beginning, which if you read a lot of kind of this literature, you start to wonder uh, which one is it. But to, do you think it's mostly that do you think the reason why people uh, clamor for some sort of reparations is because uh, something horrible happened to their ancestors? And it's it's uh, uh, if you want to make that right or you want to, I guess. And then you should give uh, money to their to their, uh, uh, I guess, offspring. Or do you think it's that uh, or do you think it's more so that uh, they think that, uh, well, they built this country. And it wouldn't be this way without it. So they ultimately owe them money that way because it seems to be the latter. But there's also the case if you look at Jews with the Holocaust, where actually probably probably uh, killing all the Jews. And I mean, I mean, I think only I think less than three percent of the uh, German or the Jews killed in the Holocaust were German. But uh, killing Jews, it's not like they did that many work projects. And it ultimately probably hurt the economy because Jews tend to function pretty well. But uh, in, in that case, it would be that in the case of Jews, it would just probably be the reparations just because they did something horrible to them. But the blacks, they keep it seems that uh, I'm not quite sure if it's that uh, uh, they, they think they're owed this money because something happened to them or slavery happened to them, which is horrible. Or is it more so that they think they built this country? I, I don't know. I don't know that they think they, they built the country. I, I don't I don't know. I, I um, you know, their, their motivations are a little bit uh, convoluted, to be honest with you. I'm not I'm not really sure. Um, the idea that the country was built, first of all, uh, the farms in, in the South are not what built the country. Uh, right. It was, it was, you know, the, the industry is what built the country. Um, the, you know, there's, a, there's a, the, the Men Who Built America. It was an interesting documentary and it named off different, you know, Rockefeller and this person and that person that, that you know, the innovators of, of, uh, of the industrial age and how they, how they move things along. Those are the guys that built the country. Those are yeah. the guys that made us the most powerful country on the planet. Um, <clears throat> J.P. Morgan, people like that. Not, not, not farm work, not farm labor. That, that, that makes no sense whatsoever. We need farm work. We need farm labor. But, but no, no. The, 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 the South, the North is much richer than the South. Um, the, the, the North actually outspent the South. That's part of the reason why that, they, uh, that, they, that the North won. Uh, in fact, the South was trying to get money and weapons and arms from from the Brits, uh, and you know the North put a blockade up to make sure that they, they didn't get through to them because they were being bled dry. They were running out of resources and money. Yeah, which I'm I'm interested in this because uh, when I was looking at a lot of stuff, uh, the the kind of argument, the best argument they can kind of come out uh, or come up with uh, parsing it through is that. Uh, uh, America ultimately owes black people uh, money as as because it's ultimately a duty uh, for why they owe uh, black people reparations or African Americans reparations, which uh, 
it seems to jive better with the idea that they built this country. But uh, or it, it seems to jive better with the aspect of they built this country, so they were owed the money, which uh, it seems to be the case that either way, horrible things happen to them. But uh, I, I find this interesting, and I don't know if they're uh, if they're kind of like doing some sort of equivocation, hand waving, or really what they believe because it I, I don't know. It's a it's Equ- equiv- equivocation. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yes. Did did people build the country? Of course they did. There's plenty of people that worked on construction and constructing uh, bridges on constructing buildings, on constructing roads, on railroads, but everybody participated in that. White right. people, black people, Asians, you know, Chinese, Chinese uh, were, were very uh, instrumental in, the, in building the railroads. Uh, everybody, everybody participated in that. What the hell does that have to do with anything? How does that mean that anybody owes anybody anything? Uh, the only argument really is, is that uh, for slavery, and slavery happened hundreds of years ago, there's nothing we can do about it. There's no way to change it. There's no way to go back. And, uh, you know, unless your idea is that you're just going to, you know, get a salary every year and never have to work again the rest of your life. Uh, and so are your children. So your grandchildren and your and your great grandchildren. Maybe maybe that's the idea. But that's not going to work. That's not sustainable. That's not realistic. It's never going to happen. And so let's instead of this fantasy of, of, of not having to work or, and, and getting just this windfall of money that would literally destroy the country, including everybody in it, including, you know, everybody, everybody would be destroyed. Instead of doing that, let's, let's deal with reality. Let's try to make everybody's life better and and let's do it in a realistic manner and, and actually come up with, you know, solutions that are going to work and and not some fairy tale that, that is just not plausible. Yeah. Right. Which, uh, I, I should say that uh, this doesn't seem to come up much in the literature because it seems to mostly be that, uh, oh, well, black people are owed a duty or black. It's a uh, uh, or I guess this white supremacist America owes them some sort of stipend as a duty. But there's also the there's also the argument for reparations that uh, which strangely enough doesn't come up. doesn't come up as much if you actually look at a lot of the stuff that uh, it's ultimately going to have a positive effect on our economy. And I guess we've already talked about this, that uh, we are obviously looking at a lot of our uh, our uh, reparation S programs and things that uh, ultimately can, are conducive to kind of victimize victimization mindsets. But if you actually look at, we're going to do another episode on this, but if you look at uh, our probably most substantive reparation program in America, it's affirmative action, which if you look at the results of affirmative action there, as far as actually producing a, a kind of like rosy effect and uh, actually seeming uh, are actually giving a justification for its existence by way of uh, the students actually doing well in college or they're ultimately coming up and uh, or they're ultimately uh, being able to uh, come up with their other with their, I guess, uh, counterparts or I guess white counterparts because they tend to do average overall. It's you just do not see that you see the same gaps, the same kind of disparity, the same disparities that you did in the 60s when it was implemented as you do now which uh, I, I always find kind of interesting because I don't even know. I, I, I think there are some people who uh, wholeheartedly support affirmative action who in effect would endorse this, but I think they would go kind of go back to, uh, oh, well, this ultimately shows how screwed up the system actually is, which obviously if that shows how, how screwed up the system actually is, we shouldn't even implement it because we're just wasting money then because it doesn't seem to produce a positive result one way or the other. Well, I, I keep hearing about systemic racism. The only systemic racism that I can, the only tangible systemic racism that I can, I can put my hands on is, and that I can see, uh, you know, you know, the only tangible uh, systemic racism that exists in my lifetime is affirmative action. Right. Affirmative, affirmative action is the definition of racism. It's systemic racism because it's, it's maintained and managed by the system. 
whether it's by the U.S. government, whether it's by, um, you know, institutions like universities and colleges or, or you know, big business. It's it's uh, it's institutionalized racism uh, against, you know, er, you know, against whites, against against Asians, against uh, men. And, uh, you know, it's other than that, I can't think of one thing. And when you ask people, well, they give these vague examples that can't really be proven or disproven. And uh, that's that. I think that's you know that that shows that it's it's just an excuse and nonsense. Well, uh, everybody has to. You know, the only thing I want. I don't hate anybody, by the way. The only thing I want is I want everybody treated the same. I want everybody held to the same standard, regardless of of, of race, regardless of ethnicity, religion, uh, national origin. Um, you know, whether they're male or female, whether they're um, you know, whatever. I just want everybody held to the same exact standard, treated exactly the same way. And, and that's it. And I, I don't think you can get any fairer than that. Yeah. I will say with uh, reparations or affirmative action in regards to a university, which uh, a response I'll see a lot is that, uh, well, black kids, uh, they're not doing as well in school and university, but they're still getting disproportionately accepted universities uh, relative to their counterparts that have the same scores. It's the case that, uh, well, I guess particularly their white counterparts, they're privileged and they have, tend to have a better home life. And I guess they tend to go to, I guess, in their minds, better schools. So the black people, in effect, then need a handicap, which it kind of goes back to the point, which they just do not assess, which is, OK, is, is this about fairness? Is this merely about uh, you having a duty to do that because there's just a they start out from kind of a lower position? Or is it that uh, you can actually argue for positive effects? Because. If you're actually arguing from that position, they're, seem, they, they're seemingly conceding that, oh, well, it could very well be the case that you're not going to see these kids do any, any better in the school. I mean, w which maybe they could argue that, uh, oh, well, they get to go to better schools and it confers kind of more status on them, which where it's maybe this would be a, another kind of episode uh, worthy of doing. But uh, you actually get to see how this actually doesn't really pan out in the real world. And that we're seeing a lot of universities where because there's so many like affirmative action at kind of the higher schools, if you get like a 1400 or 1500, a lot of times you'll just go to kind of your regular state school and a lot of businesses are seeing this. So they'll go there. And it's also the case that uh, I believe it's a what is it? Big fish, little ponds or little fish, big pond, where you could see a lot of kind of uh, smarter, particularly like black, black and Hispanic kids that uh, maybe will get like 1300s in the essay, 12, 1300s and be decent scores and but they'll go to ivy league schools where they're around people getting near perfect scores and they'll just not be the same kind of they'll, they'll just not be at kind of the caliber of intelligence there and it ultimately stymie them and make them think that they're lesser or they're not quite as intelligent yeah i, I personally if if somebody gave let me into a school or gave me points i would feel i i honestly i would be insulted I really right. would be. I remember as a little boy, even T-ball, you know, where you would put the baseball up on the tee and you would hit it, you know, starting out a T-ball. I, I remember everybody on everybody in the league, all the teams, all the people, all the members on the teams, they all got trophies at the end of the season. Right. Every single kid. Uh, and come to find out, you know, I didn't know at the time, but then I, I asked and come to find out your mother buys the trophy. <laughs> so right. everybody gets a trophy. It's a participation trophy. That's not how you teach people to succeed. I used to hate that. I was, I, as, even as a little kid, I, I would say to my mother, well, if we didn't win and, and we, you know, we, we know, how do we, why are we getting a trophy? Trophies are for winners. And, uh, you know, my mother back then was like, well, you know, it's okay. You know, you tried hard and yeah, but we don't even know if we won or not. We don't know who won. We just played and that was it. And 
it just doesn't make didn't make sense to me. I was a little kid and it didn't make sense. You don't yeah. give participation trophies. That's not how you that's not how you breed excellence. Uh, it's, I it's not it's not fair. It's just not fair to anybody, including the person you're giving the participation trophy to. Yeah, I mean, I, I would segue back to kind of this reparations debate, which imagine you're like a black entrepreneur and you really have really some great ingenuity and you want to create some great idea. And then imagine it's the case that they want to say, oh, no, well, we'll give you a bunch of money for you to start this and that, no, we can give you shortcuts and you don't have to do it yourself. I would feel if I was in that in that person's shoes, I would feel kind of belittled. It's kind of like when you in, in kind of the same sense that you see with a lot of uh, very wealthy people that or I'm talking billionaires now where they ultimately get money from their parents and and whatever kind of project they want to do. And they're, then they're told for the rest of their life that, oh, well, you only did that because your parents gave you money and uh, you were able to take some shortcuts and you weren't able to get do what other people were able to do, you know, which I always wonder if like the case of like a black entrepreneur that uh, if you were really wanted all this money, wouldn't you have been able to do it uh, anyway? And that uh, ultimately, if somebody gave you some sort of handouts, it would ultimately be undercutting your success or or uh, uh, rationally lead to people thinking that perhaps you your your success is a little bit diminished. They, 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 do, they do that to every successful person, every successful person that has a, has successful parents. They never get success in their own right, uh, according to everybody else, because no matter what they do, no matter what they accomplish, if they take 10 million and they turn it into 10 billion, it doesn't matter because the, the, the other person, yeah. every, everybody says, well, your parents were wealthy. You started out from wealth and, and without them, you wouldn't have done anything. Well, I'll tell you what, forget about the 10, mil 10 million. Let's say you had 10,000, turn 10,000 into uh, 10 million. How about that? If they can take 10 million and turn it into 10 billion, how about you take 10,000 and turn it into uh, uh, 10 million? It's yeah. never going to happen. And obviously, I should say that uh, I'm not endorsing this position. I think that uh, or denying anyone success, or no matter what they're or what they started off, it can be ridiculous. But uh, right. I'm saying that the same, these are the same people who say that, but these are the same people who want uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars to start something. Just oh, yeah. Out, and then they're the ones and that uh, they seemingly wouldn't be as bothered if that the same thing happened with them. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I know exactly what you meant. Uh, okay. Yeah, I was agree I, I was actually agreeing with you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That, that you know, they they you know, of course, they look at the other people and they don't take their success as as serious as seriously because they say, well, this person came from wealth, their family was successful, and so of course they're gonna be successful, and of course, you know, that it really isn't them. And well, how do you think people look at you when when somebody gives something to you? And even even if they didn't give something to you, if there's a policy where people uh, are given stuff, it, it's going to it's going to, you know, it's going to cast a shadow on on any success you have, because people are going to say, well, did they really do it on their own or did somebody help them? I wouldn't want to be in that position personally. Right. Yeah. I, I, I should probably shift some gears a bit. We should probably say that uh, one, of, one of the things I found interesting going over a lot of the stuff is that uh, it seems like the reparations debate has really just kind of heated in kind of uh, the latter part of the last decade. And that's where it's kind of drummed up and kind of gotten its most salience. And I'm not quite sure what that's from. I think it's or I, my, my the, the most plausible guess in my mind is that uh, it's part of this kind of resurgence of Black Lives Matter, where ultimately black people are just as oppressed as they've always been, which which now, which uh, uh, to them ultimately means that uh, they need to be given some money or they need to be given some reparations, which seems odd because if we're living in a white, a white supremacist country, then uh, it doesn't seem like that would be the one so amenable to giving reparations, which it obviously seems much more amenable to it now. But uh, I, I think a good kind of underscoring the, or a, a kind of a good anecdote underscoring this is with Obama in that 
he he during his whole presidency he was anti-reparations whenever asked and then after his presidency he in effect said i was lying i was lying about that because or i i actually always was but i was just lying because it's an unpopular opinion which he was actually ultimately praised and it was viewed as oh this poor black man he had to be he had to be coy about his position because this racist uh, this racist uh, society which if you actually look at it that's ultimately saying that's well, there's this issue that's kind of controversial or that most people are against and it's going to cause and it's also has ramifications of causing billions, costing billions upon billions of dollars. So I'm going to lie about it. I don't see how that's I don't see how that's a praiseworthy. That just seems very cowardly and a flaky thing for a politician to do. Much it's, like, the, it's, it's the typical politician hide who hide what you really believe. It's like it's like Hillary when she gave that uh, that uh, speech. I think it was Central and South or South America, and she said, "Well, sometimes as a politician, you have to have your uh, your public public uh, your public position and your private position." Yeah, basically basically saying that she's a liar and that she just puts on a face for everybody. Imagine that shocking shocking stuff. Who who would have ever guessed? So um, you know you know the thing the thing is is that. I'm sorry, folks, but if this is a racist country, we we sure as hell wouldn't have been voted in a man by the name of Barack Hussein Obama uh, that went to school in a madrasa. Uh, and he did go. To, I'm not saying he was a Muslim, but he he did go to school in a madrasa for a while. Uh, he he uh, his name is, uh, you know, Barack Hussein Obama. Uh, he's half black. Um, his father's not even from this country. Uh, his mother was of, of low, low. Um, you know, moral character, low caliber, uh, did, did some, you know, some, some, uh, some, uh, porn, not, not hardcore porn, but some porn. Uh, so he, he didn't come from great, uh, you know, great, uh, a great background. And yet he was voted into the highest office in the land. Now, if there's, if that doesn't prove that this country isn't racist, first of all, I'm not going to do backflips and I'm not going to do a contortion act to prove that anything's any, that anything is, is not, or is, or is not racist. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to constantly be on the defense and try to prove, prove things to anybody. I don't owe anybody, anybody, anybody proof, but if we can, if we can elect that man to the office, not just once, but twice, and that's still not good enough. And that still doesn't prove that this isn't a racist country. Then, then nothing will, there's, there's just nothing anybody can do. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I, obviously I'm sure we've all, we, well, I know we've, we've both experienced this, but to, when we bring up this uh, quote unquote, uh, uh, systematic, uh, the country's, uh, we live in a white supremacist country and or I think basically, uh, systemically against black people, which you always counter with, okay, well, what about Asians? If it's the case that uh, white supremacy is this kind of like such a, 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 I don't know, ubiquitous force, why isn't it uh, ultimately suppressing Asians, which they don't have an answer. They just lash out and call you racist, which I mean, one, you can't always you you you, you have to ultimately not care. If, you ultimately have to uh, think it's ridiculous for them to put you on the defensive and ultimately just rebuff it. But that kind of shows you everything you need to know. If you have an argument that, in effect, seems like it totally negates what they do and all they do is just lash out. It's probably they're probably it's probably just kind of like a cult thinking, which they, they can't really answer it and they don't really have to and they don't feel like they're entitled to. Well, it's, it's not, extremely racist else. against Asians. Yeah. To, and, and I've heard I've heard people call Asians uh, white adjacent. What the hell is that supposed to mean? White yeah. adjacent. So so they're like they're, they're honorary white people. I mean, and that doesn't even make sense. You know, and, right. and how is that not a racist statement to make? Right. Well, it kind of goes back to which uh, the, I read the I read the quote from Coleman Hughes, where he's basically saying that uh 
oh, if you give me reparations, you're ultimately saying I'm a victim, which kind of in the, I think in the same way, the same thing happens with like Asians, which uh, one, they're either try to say that uh, or white people have conferred some sort of status on them. So they're able to kind of circum or circumvent uh, uh, this kind of white supremacist, uh, uh, I don't know, society, which one is ultimately supposed to confer some sort of guilt on them and make it seem like you were uh I guess you were chosen for no good reason to be uh, uh, to succeed in life, which I mean, that that just seems like it's going to have pernicious effects. Or if you actually follow that logic, which I imagine some Asians do, it's going to screw them up or it's saying that, uh, well, maybe they actually did. Maybe they are being stymied by white supremacy, but they're ultimately coming up, which I think you ultimately it kind of goes back to what Coleman Hughes was saying, which I'll read it again, which it says reparations by definition are only given to victims. So the moment you give me reparations, you've made me into a victim without my consent which if you actually be white supremacy is kind of a, a penetrating Asians, then you would, you the Asians would have to think, even though they're doing so well that, Oh, we could have been doing so much better. And that would be making victims out of uh, people that are doing much, that are doing much better, which I'm sure there are some of those people out there. I know there's a lot of Asians who claim that stuff, stuff like Asian hate crimes is ultimately being perpetrated by white supremacists, which if you look at the statistics, that's just not true. Yeah. It's, it's just not true. It's, it's provably false. So, you know, the thing is, is that, and, and I, I've asked this many times, and I can't remember if I asked it this time or not, if I brought this up, but I always ask the question, if if Black people are held back by systemic racism, and they deserve reparations to, to stymie or to to, uh, to overcome the mountain of, of horrible systemic racism that exists in this country, supposedly, then why is it that Black Americans are the most successful Black people on the planet? Right. The richest and most successful Black people on the planet. If if America is this horrible racist place that owes reparations and that that uh, you know that that keeps people down, then why is it they're the most successful here? It just doesn't make sense. It, it absolutely makes zero sense. Why are people from Haiti trying to come here? Why are people from certain parts of Africa trying to come here, uh, and and other parts of the Caribbean trying to come here? If this is such a horrible place, uh, and and the places that they're from are so much better, why come here? Why why, yeah. why come to, why come to the to a horrible racist place like the United States um, when you can stay in your own country and not have to deal with that because it's just not true. It's just simply not true. Um, so, and, and, you know, pretending that it is, is just, it's, it's counterproductive to everybody. I realize that, that people think that they're getting over on, on other people by pretending that everything's racist, but in fact, claiming everything is racist and every motivation is racist and every outcome that doesn't go your way is racist is in fact racism itself because you're claiming that the motivation of some of a group of people is always race-based and that they're evil people and if that's the case and you see that in, in everybody in that in that particular group then then you're the racist right yeah i would also bring up and this isn't meant to undercut your argument by any stretch of the imagination which some people are going to think that but that's probably just because they're stupid but uh you can look at a case like with, uh, uh, South Africa during apartheid, which you can obviously see, okay, there's there's definitely some sort of racism going on there. But if you look at the border in, during South Africa, in South Africa during apartheid, there were constantly people trying to sneak into the country, which once they'd get there, they would be under the oppressive laws that were considered just so pernicious and that people or that liberals constantly talk about uh, as far as like, a, a, I don't know, a marker for horrible civilization, which I, the reason for that, or at least in my mind, is just because they're the countries around them, which were all African, were just total, basically just hellhole, and they wanted to get to a nicer place. And I wonder if some of these people could ever actually concede that, in a way, that's that's what's going on here. Which, uh, I mean, th this might sound weird, but it's almost like with reparations that uh, uh, you could argue that some black people actually did better 
did better in America than they would have in Africa, which obviously that wouldn't have been the case for the people that were enslaved, but their generation, their, their, their ancestors, I think it is, which, which I, I guess my point with the South African case is that even systems that are objectively, there's objective racism going on there. It seemed like the majority of black people that lived in kind of adjacent areas that weren't as nice, they still wanted to go there because it was still better. And they were willing to kind of, uh, uh, I guess, uh, endure the racism. And, and folks, we're not saying that the racism is okay. We're not saying that at all. We're not saying that bigotry doesn't exist. We're not saying that oppressive laws are, are, are justified in any ways. We're, we're definitely not saying that. We're not, we're not saying that we don't want anybody oppressed. We don't want to control anybody. We don't want to keep anybody down. We're just saying that there's ways to make people, people succeed. Everybody succeed. There, there's strategies to come up with to make everybody succeed, or at least, at least work in that direction. And reparations and, and affirmative action and things of that nature are counterproductive to those goals. And, and you know, I, I realize that you look at it and you see the, this, this flowery idea of the, of the possible consequences that could happen out of this. But in reality, when you look at the stats, it, it's, the, it's the reverse. It destroys the black family. It destroys families in general. It destroys society. It pits groups against each other. And it, it just makes it difficult for everybody. It doesn't help anybody. Uh, it does, definitely doesn't help the people that it's supposedly set up to help. And, and that's what we're trying to say. That's exactly what we're trying to say. So the idea that, you know, people, some people are going to listen to this and they're going to say, oh, these guys are horrible racists and they hate black people. That, that, none of that's true. None of the, no, absolutely none of it's true. Um, and I think anybody with two brain cells to rub together, who's not, who's not just wallowing in, in, in emotions and out of control emotions are going to realize what we're saying. And those of you that are, there's no reaching you anyway, because you're not logical, rational people. And so to those people, I just write them off anyway. But to the people that are, understand what we're trying to say and what we're trying to come across here and actually want to address our arguments, please feel free to leave a, uh, a comment, whether it's negative Leave, leave feedback, whether it's, whether, whether it's good feedback or bad feedback, either way, we, we embrace feedback. Uh, whether we agree with it or disagree with it is irrelevant. Um, we're, we're open to hear everybody's views. Um, yeah. So. I, I should also add that uh, we've actually, I, I think we both concurred that uh, there are some cases where reparations actually do succeed and pan out, like in the case of uh, Japanese internment camps and uh, the Jews of Israel, which Obviously, there's different. We showed some of the differences there, but uh, which obviously the most substantive is that they was actually given to the, or was by and large given to the people that, or given to the people who had suffered or who had suffered. Exactly. Uh, exactly. They our, our main qualm is that uh, with kind of the uh, notion of black reparations is that uh, if you actually followed or trapped this logic all the way through, then it would have to be, which as we did at Tani Ishikotes, which there doesn't seem to be much of a difference between saying that I'm owed reparations uh, because I was a or I'm descendant of uh, African Americans, and I or and uh, I'm owed reparations because I was I'm a I'm a ethnically part of the British Isles, and the Romans enslaved me. I mean, like this kind of equivocation and hand waving. I think you have to ask where it kind of gets you, you know, or that you 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 have to ultimately understand that uh, these people are just kind of splitting hairs over some of the terms, and it's not quite clear what they mean by a lot of the stuff. And I think that's what we're trying to show, much like with. Uh, uh, like concepts like system systemic racism that uh, if you actually take it to its logical logical conclusion and try to see what they're trying to cash out of here it just doesn't seem to really go to or really seem to correspond to reality as ben shapiro says forget about the, this nebulous uh you know ambiguous systemic racism show me an actual case of racism and i'll fight it with you 
But right. don't give me this nonsense of oh, it's systemic racism and these vague claims that are not you know not disprovable, not provable, often disprovable, but not not fully provable, and uh, just just ways of of making arguments that that don't need to be justified or sustained uh, or proven, because that's a waste of time. That's a waste of your time. It's a waste of my time, and it doesn't benefit anybody. Um, okay, so let's switch gears here, here a little bit. I want to talk just for a moment about the. Uh, the, the raid on Mar-a-Lago, uh, Donald Trump's primary residence in Florida. Uh, and, uh, you know, it seems like that we are, we are weaponizing the government again to go after our political enemies. If they can get him, they can try to keep him from being able to run in 2024. And I, I'm even conflicted about whether he should run in 2024 or not. But that's irrelevant. It should be left up to the people. It shouldn't be orchestrated through the government in a way to try to make him ineligible to to uh, to run, because that's that's dirty pool. Obviously, nobody cares. They just want to. They just want what they want, and whatever it takes, they're going to do it. They you know no ethics, no morals. Uh, they're just going to do what they want to do. But uh, that's that's what I remember when when people when when people were chanting "lock her up." Uh, when it came to Hillary Clinton, and everybody talked about how horrible that was, and how they, you know, they're weaponizing the government against their political enemies, but they never really did anything to Hillary. They never did anything to Hillary. They talked about a big game, you know, but but at the end of the day, Trump did nothing, nothing right. against Hillary. Which it, so now, now they they've actually taken the step of going after him. Period. Yeah, and it's it's still not even the last time I checked this was a couple hours ago, but it's not even clear what ex why exactly a, war a search warrant was issued. Which some people seem to think it's that uh, he he had classified uh, information that he wasn't supposed to have. Which I guess that was one of the speculations. Which or improperly improperly uh, improperly storing the information, something like that, something along those lines. Yeah, and uh, not to be not to be a total conspiracy theorist here, which I don't know if this even necessarily. I guess even if it's true, it'd be. If it's true, it'd be conspiracy theorists. But uh, some there, people... there are there are conspiracies that exist. Okay, I understand. But yeah. uh, it, some people are speculating. I guess there's a congressional rule, or there was some sort of law passed, which it's not in the Constitution. But uh, if you misplace some sort of, uh, uh, I guess, classified info, you can ultimately be uh, rejected from the presidency, or that uh, this can constitute such a crime that so you can't be, you're not able to run again. Which I don't quite know if I buy this, but I've heard other people speculating on this, which. If it's over, if the warrant was issued over uh, uh, something to do with classified info, it could very well kind of uh, jibe with that theory. It could, and I, I think that's I think that's the goal, the ultimate goal. But I don't think it's going to turn into anything. I really don't. How many yeah. times since he started, since he first agreed to run for the nominee for for the Republican Party, when he first entered the race in the, in the primaries, how many times have we heard, "We got him now. We got him now." No, we really have him now. Oh no, we really have him now. Uh, what was it? Uh, Rachel Maddow did that whole thing about the uh, the dossier and the information she found out, and it turned into nothing. And then yeah. Stephen Col Colbert did a, a, a mock uh, imitation of her doing that, um, which was which was I don't like Stephen Colbert, but it was absolutely hilarious. It was yeah. absolutely hilarious. Uh, it, they've constantly got Donald Trump where they want him, and yet nothing ever comes of it. Yeah, I, I think kind of my the the million dollar question here which uh or for for me here is that uh if we're actually able to see whatever warrant is issued and if there's actually grounds to it you know which that's that's the question i have which if there's not really grounds to it and you could subject uh this to 
this against uh, any other any other democratic politicians, it would be just as founded. That I think is really nefarious. If that's what's happening here, but I would be I would uh, be pretty much disturbed if something if that happened to be the case. Here's my prediction. This is going this is going to have absolutely no impact. You know what this is? You know what the impact that this is meant to have? This is meant to have an well. Their ultimate goal would be wonderful for them if they could keep him from running in 2024. That's their ultimate goal. But in reality, what they're really trying that their short term goal is is simply to impact the uh, the 2022 um, elections. That's that's what it really is all about. They want to stir up the idea that there's a lot of corruption in the Republican Party. They want to scare people. Um, they want to they want to you know get people to go out and vote to as a vote against Donald Trump. And so that's why they're doing this right before the Republican, uh, right, right? I'm sorry, right before the elections. Um, yeah, the midterm elections. That that's the whole point. That that that's the that's the that's the actual goal. Yeah, I remember uh, kind of detailing this. I remember hearing James Comey in an interview uh, when he was asked why he decided to reopen uh, the case on Hillary Clinton's emails after it had been settled, and I guess they ultimately uh, found nothing uh, substantive, but. Uh, I think it was ultimately closed after the election. I think it was like literally a week before. But the answer he gave was kind of interesting. He said basically, oh, well, we're about to have an election. So we just wanted to make sure that we got it perfect, you know? And I, I guess in that sense, which, I mean, maybe I'm being sympathetic with Democrats here, that it's ultimately saying that, no, we're we're so, uh, uh, or, or kind of election, I don't know, kind of heard, the herd uh, worrying about election was ultimately able to sway me to reopen an election, which... I think on some level I could view as kind of problematic. And I almost wonder if kind of the same thing's happening with Donald Trump. If And it seems much more plausible that that's happening with Donald Trump in, in regards to what Comey said. And that he's just, he essentially said there that uh, I was swayed to do something because the electorate wanted it or the electorate uh, would, would have like misgivings if I didn't do it. So I'm wondering if they're ultimately doing the same thing with Trump, which, you know, we just want to make it clear that he didn't have any uh, 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 secret or classified info. And if he didn't, then I guess he's free. But if not, then we can ultimately, I guess, use this uh, to bar him from running again. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what the, they, they call it the, the deep state. There is a deep state. There are people that are entrenched into the government that have been for a long time and that stay there over presidents. You know, they're there for several administrations. Some of them are in there for 10, 20, 30 years. And they, they're really the ones that pull the strings on the government, not the president. The president's yeah. not a king, not a king. And so what they do is they manipulate things from behind the scenes and, and what their ultimate goal is, uh, because it seems like they've done it to Hillary. They they're doing it to Trump. It's, I, I don't know what kind of chess match they're playing or what they're trying, how they're trying to maneuver and manipulate people and what, and what they're trying, what their ultimate goal is, but they're, they're obviously pulling dirty tricks uh, against both sides, yeah. you know, depending on how it suits them. And so unfortunately we don't know why or how or, exactly what they're doing but they're obviously up to no good yeah i i mean obviously i'm not that sympathetic with a lot of the fbi especially recently so but uh i i guess at the end of the day i, I really don't know i just I, that's why i'd like to have more info on this if we could actually get it or get it soon but uh, I, I was going to say the other points and you you referenced this uh you you referenced it in regards to hillary clinton when uh i think trump at one point did essentially endorse hillary for Clinton's prison i don't think that was purely like kind of like an, an audience chance which, oh no no yeah yeah he yeah he said it he joked he, yeah he, he made some jokes but he never actually came through on anything yeah but I was gonna say that I think it's fair to say that uh, I mean I, I am sympathetic to this even at the time I just thought that okay that's kind of disturbing to say that somebody I'm running against should ultimately be in prison a prison cell you know that doesn't seem like something we should be hearing in America as much as uh, as big of a disdain uh, I as I have for Hillary Clinton but uh, 
it seems like the Democrats are wholeheartedly endorsing the same thing because they ultimately want the same thing to happen to Donald Trump where he's in prison. You could hear it where literally his whole presidency, they thought it would end, end with him being imprisoned, even though if you ask them for any tangible evidence, they would either throw up Russiagate or some other stupid conspiracy. And obviously that hasn't went to much avail, but I, I, I guess it goes back to you have to wonder if the same thing's happening here where they're just trying to imprison him and they're just going and they're really just grasping at straws. And I'm wondering if it's if, if uh, any liberals have a good sense to see that uh, kind of just just as how uh, just like how uh, the Trump supporters, and I guess Trump to some extent, uh, were literally advocating for throwing Hillary Clinton in prison. And they called that disturbing and thought that that just showed the depravity of these people. Can they see the same things, which I guess here you could call the Democratic Party and to an extent, the kind of the deep states. All, all of a sudden, it's not disturbing anymore. Yeah. All of a sudden, it's the right thing to do. All of it, all in every single presidency now, they, they argue that the other side has uh, derangement syndrome. Oh, I see that they have Bill Clinton, Clinton derangement syndrome. Oh, I see they have George W. Bush derangement syndrome. Oh, they have Barack Obama derangement syndrome. Oh, they have Trump derangement syndrome. That, that's the claim. And everybody forgets that the last people said the same thing about the last president. How the hell did they all forget that? I have no idea. But yeah. they all say the same thing. And then this, what, what they've done is we painted ourselves into a box to the point where every single time somebody wins and becomes president, they the, the before they even take office, there's going to be people trying to figure out how they can impeach that president. Every single president from here on out. Yeah. And, and it's it's a horrible position to be in. It, 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 it ramps it up. It ramps the, it, it ramps everything up so high that uh, it means that we, we, you know, we're losing our country. We're losing our country over it. It's, it's, it's uh, us th- against them to the point where uh, everybody's trying to put everybody else in prison and everybody's trying to impeach everybody and validate everybody instead of just taking the loss on the chin and, and, and moving on and, and trying for the next election. Right. So I think we probably should wrap it up at that point. We've been going for an, more than an hour. Yep. Um, and I've enjoyed the conversation. Again, we hate no one. We're not trying to oppress anyone. Uh, we, we we have nothing against anyone. We just think that it's that uh, reparations uh, and also affirmative action, by the way, is just uh, counterproductive and it's not going to help anybody, especially the people that its stated goal is to help. Um, so I think it, it's destroyed the black community. Uh, affirmative action has. And uh, reparations would do the same thing uh, tenfold. So again, if you don't believe me, look at all the people that win the lottery. They they go bankrupt in, in the first five years. In five years or less, they're bankrupt. And so that's that's that would be the exact same thing. And watch the Chappelle skit on uh, reparations. Right. Watch the Chappelle show. One of my favorite comedy shows. Watch the Chappelle show and and his uh, his skit on on uh, reparations. I think <laughs> I think it'd be like ten times worse than that, but that's that's a good uh, good example. Of what we'll probably I think, be, I think it would probably be a good vignette, but uh, obviously that's fiction, or obviously it's a uh, or or it's supposed to be fiction, right? So, supposedly fiction. Okay, well, thank you for uh, thank you for being with me, uh, brighter later. Uh, I I enjoyed the conversation. Uh, I hope the best for everybody, including Trump, and uh, I hope the best for our country. I really do. Uh, where you can find us, we drop a, a podcast every day, Monday through Friday, uh, after 12 or 1 a.m. And uh, we do that Monday through Friday. Uh, and they usually last about anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half, sometimes two, two and a half hours. It depends on what the topic is. It depends on what, who the guest is. It depends on a lot of factors. 
Uh, obviously, it's free, so please subscribe if you enjoy these conversations and give us some feedback. Again, whether it's negative feedback, positive feedback, we embrace all of it. Uh, so give us some feedback, let, you know, let us know what you think, and, uh, you know, not a problem. And uh, we will catch you next time. You can find us again on all the major platforms, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audible, Google Music, uh, Amazon Music, and every other podcast platform you could possibly think of. At least about 25 podcast platforms you can find us on. So if you have the app or if you go to that website, all you have to do is search conservative atheist. You look for the clown face. And once you found it, you found me. Okay. Have a good night, everybody. We'll talk to you another time.